Well, it was Christmas time, December 1965, and two astronauts, Frank Borman and James Lovell, they were just about to complete the longest flight in the history of the US space program. There they were, up in space, in their spacecraft, Gemini 7. And they were there when uh, the NASA communication personnel down here on Earth asked them if there were any particular songs that the two guys wanted piped up to them there in space. And there was. There was one particular Christmas song that the two men requested. It was Bing Cosby's I'll Be Home for Christmas. Now, I know that this is not a particular Christmas song that we would normally sing here in church, and I just saw Jeff roll his eyes. Don't worry about him, okay? We're going to sing this. We're going to sing this together. Hit it, Beth. Okay, I want to hear you sing sing nice and loud. I'm watching, Jeff. (laughs) Here we go. From the top. I'll be home for Christmas. Jason Teak, I can't see you. You can count on me. Please have snow and mistletoe. Nice work, Aaron Tan. And presents. Under the tree. Okay, now everybody has to swing, swing, sway and sing. A Christmas Eve will find me where the love light gleams. Okay, big ending, everybody. Ready? I'll be Christmas if only in my dreams oh lovely (laughs) don't ever expect to hear that in church again okay it's a one off there you go I think I just got fired but never mind (laughs) you did very well Now, you'll be very pleased to know that both those astronauts, that's the song they wanted to hear for Christmas, and you'll be very pleased to know that both of them did come home safely. They were able to spend Christmas 1965 with their families. There is something about spending Christmas with families, isn't there? Those two astronauts knew it, and I think most of us know that too. Uh, For those of us, I know some of us won't be home with our families for Christmas, and we, we feel that, don't we, at Christmas time. Most of us want to be at home with our families for Christmas. At least that's the case for most of us, but it's not the case for everybody. I was surprised this past week to find out that each year in Australia there's 35,000 people who are reported to the Australian Federal Police who go missing each year, 35,000, and a large proportion of them are people who have run away from home. So there's thousands of people uh, who, these holidays, the last song that they'll be wanting to sing is I'll Be Home for Christmas. Well, 30 or so years after the very, very first Christmas, 30 or so years after the birth of Jesus, in other words, Jesus himself told a story about a runaway. And it was a story about a son who no longer wanted to have anything to do with his father. And it's a story that I want us to look at this morning. It comes from a part of the Bible called Luke chapter 15. 
If you don't already have Bibles open in front of you with this story there, it would be really helpful for you to open up with me. You can find it on page 740 of the small print Bibles, uh, 1625 of the larger print Bibles, Luke chapter 15. Now the father in this story, um, sorry, the, the, the father in this story that Jesus tells us, he actually has two sons, not one, but two sons. And it's the younger son who one day comes to his father and he says to him, old man, I am out of here. I'm hitting the road. I've had it with this farm. I'm fed up living with you. From now on, I want nothing to do with you. From now on, I want a party. And so the son in this story uh, tells his dad that he wants his share of the inheritance now. He wants his share of the estate now. Now, of course... Most people don't get their inheritance until their parents die, do they? So in the son asking his dad for his inheritance, it's a little bit like saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. What an awfully painful thing for this father to hear. But the father, no doubt brokenhearted, gives his son what he wants. He gives him the inheritance. Read with me the beginning of this story from Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Verse 11. Jesus said... There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to him, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So now you see this boy with his pockets full of inheritance money, he heads off from the farm. He leaves his father behind, gets as far away from him as he possibly can. He goes to a distant country, we're told. And when he gets there, he puts on his best party clothes And he goes out and he paints the town red. He throws his money at uh, food and at grog and at girls. He throws his money at wild living. So if you haven't already guessed, this younger son, he is something of the black sheep of this family. He is the rule breaker. He is the rule breaker. And now he's living the life that he always wanted to. Well, at least he gets to for a little while. Because you see, soon the son notices that the bulges in his pockets are getting smaller and smaller and smaller until finally there's no money left in them at all. The entire inheritance gone. And then to make things worse, this country that he's moved to, well, it now suffers a a severe financial downturn. Seems that some things never change. And everyone in this particular country starts finding life really tough. There's a famine. And so this younger son, he's now in really bad shape, really bad shape. This wasn't the time to be found with no money in your pockets. Well, the boy becomes so desperate that what he does is he hires himself out to a pig farmer. And there, in the mud and the muck of a pig pen, this younger son, the rule breaker, he spends his days feeding the pigs Just trying to survive. What a disaster. His party clothes now filthy and reeking. He's so hungry that he looks at this food that the pigs are being fed and it looks pretty appetising to him. And all his party mates, well, they, they seem to have disappeared. There's not a single person around who's there to help him out. Read with me from verse 13. Verse 13. Not long after that, The younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. 
And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Parents, parents here this morning, can you imagine one of your kids ending up like this? What a tragedy. Well, thankfully for this boy, he comes to his senses. He thinks back to his dad there at home on the farm and he thinks of the hired workers on his dad's farm and how they never go hungry. So he makes a decision. He decides that he's got to go back to his father's farm before he starves to death. But, but what about his dad? I mean, he's acted terribly towards his dad. Remember, he basically said to him, Dad, I wish you were dead. Maybe his, son, his dad won't take him back. Maybe when his dad sees him coming, the father will go inside the house, lock the door, pull the blinds down. Maybe he'll want nothing to do with his son at all. The boy, he needs to think about what he's going to say to his dad when he sees him. And so he decides, oh, he's just going to tell it as it is. He's going to admit that he's been an idiot. He's going to admit that he hasn't honoured his father as he should. That he's unworthy to even be called his son. He decides that he's going to ask his father for nothing more than to be made like any of his other hired workers on the farm. And with this decision made, the boy climbs out of the mud and the muck and he heads off for home. Read with me from verse 17. 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. Now I reckon this journey for this young fellow, it must have been the longest journey of his life. Can you imagine what must have been going on in his mind as he went on home? What will my father say to me? What will my father do to me? Well, back there on the farm, this boy's father spots his younger son way off in the distance. You know, it's almost as though the father has been keeping watch for his son. You know, waiting for the day that he might just come home. And when his father spots him, well, no, he doesn't go inside the house, lock the door, pull the blinds down. No, when the father spots his younger son way off in the distance, his heart melts for him and he takes off towards his son. He runs to him. He runs to his son. And when he gets to him, the father doesn't say a word at all. He just throws his arms around his boy. He holds him tight and he kisses him. Read with me, halfway through verse 20. Halfway through verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. But this son, 
He's been practising his speech all the way from the other country, going over and over it in his mind. And so despite the hugs, despite the kisses, he now recites his apology to his dad. Verse 21, 21. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father, the father isn't concerned what, what, about what this son is or isn't worthy of. No, he's just so overwhelmed with joy at the thought of his son being at home with him, alive and well, so overwhelmed that he calls for a celebration. He has his son change out of his filthy, reeking party clothes and he gives him the best robe he can possibly find. No, 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 this father will not be treating his son like any of his other hired workers. No, he puts a ring on his finger. He puts sandals on his feet. He calls for the barbie to be fired up and he says, let's party. The father's rule-breaking son has come back home to him, alive and well. The relationship between father and son has been restored. And so the father celebrates with his son. Read with me from verse 22. 22. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead dead and is alive again he was lost and is found so they began to celebrate what a joyous day what a joyous day what a happy happy celebration although it does seem that not everyone was in the mood for partying this particular day remember the father remember he has two sons Well, it seems that the older son has now seen his rule-breaking younger brother come on home and he's seen the extravagant celebration of his father over his rebellious brother. The older son sees this and he is furious. He's furious. So furious that he refuses to go into the house and join with this celebration. But when his father finds out about his older son, he leaves the party, he comes outside to him and he pleads for him to come on in. To come in and join with this party. But it's with this appeal that the older son lets his father have it, all guns blazing. How dare you celebrate over this rebellious, rule-breaking loser? He says, look at me. I've never run away. I've always done my work here on the farm. I've never squandered your wealth on girls or grog. I am the good son. I am the rule keeper. Where's my party? Read with me from verse 25. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, look. 
All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Wow. Bring in the super nanny. This is an angry young boy, isn't it? He's chucked his tanty. He's angry. But with good reason, do you think? With good reason? I mean, after all, he is the good boy, isn't he? He is the, the virtuous, moral, upright child. He is the rule keeper. He hasn't acted like his younger brother, has he? He, he and his brother, they're completely different, aren't they? Well, actually, no. No, not really. Not when it comes to the relationship that both boys had with their father. When it comes to the way that these sons have acted towards their father... Actually, they're not all that different at all. Because you see, neither boy had any real relationship with his father. Because neither boy had any idea of what it really meant to be a son. Think about it with me for a moment. With the younger brother, it's a lot more obvious. He showed his lack of relationship with his father through his rebellion and rule-breaking by the way he deserted his father and went off to a different country as though his father were dead to him. For the younger son, it's quite obvious he had no real relationship with his father. For the older son, it's a little less obvious. But the fact is, he too lacked any real relationship with his father. You see, the older son, he defined his relationship with his father through his prideful, self-righteous, sanctimonious rule-keeping That's right, for him, his relationship with his father was all about following the rules. Did you notice that? All these years I've been slaving for you, he said, as though his dad were his employer. I never disobeyed your orders, he said. See, to him, being a son is all about following the rules. That's why, as far as this older brother is concerned, his younger brother doesn't even qualify as a son anymore. He has broken the rules, doesn't qualify. But what this older brother has failed to realise is that when you define your relationship by rules alone, well, you are left with no real relationship at all. Parents, parents here today with school kids, can you imagine... Asking your kid, so son, how was school today? To only have, to have them reply, yes, I've done my homework. There might actually be some parents here today who would love to have that response from their kids, but imagine if that particular response actually summed up the type of relationship that you had with your child. You know, you say to your kid, hey son, how about we go down the park and kick the ball around? And they respond, well, if I must pretty cold relationship, isn't it? See, it's not that following the rules is a bad thing in and of itself. It's just that when a relationship is defined by rule-keeping, there really is no relationship at all. If the older brother had any kind of real relationship with his dad, he would have seen the pain in his father's heart 
as he sat there day after day waiting for his youngest son to come home. He would have seen the joy in his father's eyes the day that his brother did come home. But no, this older son defines sonship in terms of rule following. So you see, geographically speaking, geographically speaking, this older son is very close to his father. But relationally speaking, he might as well be in a far off country with his brother. And so there, there outside the house, the father sits with his older son and he tries to explain to him that it is relationship that he's always wanted with his kids. Yes, his younger brother has been a rule breaker and an idiot, but now he's home, alive. Now relationship has been restored. That's what really matters. That's why the father is so happy. That's why he has to celebrate. Read with me from verse 31. 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. It's heart-wrenching stuff, isn't it? Who would be a parent? Seriously. You know what I like most about this particular dad? It's this unconditional love that he has for his boys. I'm sure you noticed it. You know, to his rebellious, rule-breaking son. He goes out to meet him, throws his arms around him, kisses him, brings him back home, throws him a party. To his older sanctimonious rule-keeping son. He goes out to him, pleads with him to come on inside. Such unconditional love. It's obvious that what this father wants most from his sons is not rule-breaking, is not rule-keeping. It is real relationship. He wants them inside with him, feasting and laughing and talking and sharing. Real relationship. That's what this father desires most from his sons. Well, we know that the younger son took his father up on his offer for real relationship. But what about the older son? What happened to him? Did he ever come inside? Well, actually, you know what? We don't know. We don't know because this is where Jesus chooses to end the story. At least that's where he chooses to end telling us the story. It's not that it's the end of the story, no. The story continues on. The reason for that is, believe it or not, it is up to you to determine how this particular story ends. Why is that? Well, because it's actually a story all about you. Here, let me see if I can explain. You see, Jesus... He often told stories. He was a great storyteller. But he never, ever just told stories just to entertain. Now, when Jesus tells a story, you can be pretty sure that what he's trying to do is teach us something. Teach us something about God or teach us something about ourselves. And in this particular story, the father with the two sons, well, the father, he represents God. God, our heavenly father. And the sons in this story, well, they represent us. As God's children, they represent us. You see, there's generally two types of people that exist in this world. 
And they're both represented by the sons of this story. I wonder if either of them represent you. Is it possible? Is it possible that you are perhaps a little bit like the younger story, the younger son in today's story? You know, you describe yourself as a bit of a rule breaker, as a bit of a black sheep, a wild child. Maybe you realise that actually you've been living your life as though God were dead. Not actually giving him much thought at all, not actually being concerned at all of what he thinks of you. Is it possible that you are like the younger son in this story? Well, if so, then, friend, this story has a number of things to say to you. First, it says to you that it is time for you to come to your senses. It's time for you to recognise, as the younger son did, that you've acted terribly towards your heavenly father. It says to you that it's time for you to fess up to God, to acknowledge that you are a rule breaker, a rebel, to come home. Yes, it says to you that it's time to come home. It's time for you to be a real son, a real daughter again. Time for you to have real relationship with God. You know what? You know the other wonderful thing that I find about this story? The other thing that it says to you is that God wants you back, regardless of what you've done. God wants you home. No, he's not going to lock the doors. He's not going to pull the blinds down. No, God stands waiting, watching for you to come home. Waiting for that day that he can celebrate over you. My friend, this day your heavenly father wants real relationship with you. He wants you to come back home. Will you come? Or is it just possible that you're a little bit more like the older son in this story? You know, you consider yourself something of a rule keeper. Fairly decent, moral, upright person. You follow the Ten Commandments. You come to church when you can. You do your bit for the poor. You don't swear. You don't cheat. You don't steal. You're an eels supporter. You know, you're decent, moral, upright. You've followed the rules. But maybe from today's story you all also realise perhaps for the first time that you have no real relationship with your Heavenly Father. That your, that your relationship with God is as sterile as a surgical theatre. You know, it's as, as cold as a pack of frozen peas. Maybe you realise that you have been treating God more like an employer than a father. That even though you do all this God stuff, your poles apart in terms of your relationship with him. Does it sound like you? Then friend, this story is a wake-up call for you. You need to realise that God is not looking primarily for people who follow the rules. No. If that's what he wanted from us, he would have created us as robots. Instead, he created us as human beings with emotions and with choice and with the ability to relate. That's what he wants from you, relationship. And so now, today, he wants you to come home. He wants you to come in. 
Yes, he wants you to come home too. You see, through this story, God pleads with you, come in, come in. Will you come? No matter who you are here today, regardless of whether you're like the younger son or the older son, it does not matter. You know that there is one thing that you can be sure of. God desperately wants you home. He desperately wants a relationship with you. You know how I can be so sure about that? Well, think about who it was that told this particular story in the first place. Who was it? It was Jesus, wasn't it? And if anybody knows what God wants, it's Jesus. He is God himself, after all, remember? That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. That God has come from heaven to earth. He has left heaven, come to earth, become a human being like us. Yes, Jesus really is God. He's proved it many ways. So you see, just like the father in this story comes out to his sons to invite them back home, comes out to plead with them to come home, well, so too has God come down from heaven to earth in the person of Jesus and has pleaded with you to come home pleaded with you to have a real relationship with him. I mean, he even went as far as dying on the cross and being raised again. He died on the cross to wash your sins away so that you could have real relationship with him. Yes, if you leave here this morning sure of just one thing, know this, God wants real relationship with you. God wants real relationship with you. There really is something very special about being home for Christmas, isn't there? The two US astronauts, they knew that. Most of us know that. We want to spend Christmas with our family. Well, can I say what a wonderful thing, a wonderful thing it is to be home with God at Christmas time. To spend the Christmas season knowing that you have real relationship with him. Friend, do you want to start having real relationship with God this Christmas? Do you? And can I suggest that the best way you can begin to do that is by opening up the lines of communication between yourself and God. You can do that. You can start to do that by reading the Bible. Remember, it's the Bible, through the Bible, that God speaks to us. It's the way he talks to us. And friend, God has things that he wants to say to you today. In the foyer, I've placed a number of these books there. It's called The The Essential Jesus. The Essential Jesus. It's actually a part of the Bible. Okay, It comes from a part of the Bible called The Gospel of Luke. And it is the, the book from which this story that we've been looking at today comes from. If you want one of these, please take it. It's yours. It's free. But it's a great way for you to begin to listen to God, to open the lines of communication with him. He's got things that he wants to say to you today. And of course, on top of this, the other way that you can keep the lines of communication open with God is by praying to him. Of course, in prayer, we simply speak to God. You can make contact with God by speaking to him today in prayer. You know that he wants to hear from you. You know he would love to hear from you. 
He longs to hear from you. So what are you waiting for? Why don't you come home this Christmas? Well, let's pray right now. Let's speak to our Heavenly Father right now. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus. And thank you for the story that he told us about this Father and his sons. Thanks so much that in this story we see your great desire to have real relationship with us. Father, we want to say sorry now for those times when we've acted like rebellious children. Sorry for those times when we've acted as if you don't even exist. Sorry too for those times when we've treated you more like an employer than a father, as though we were nothing more to you than just rule-following robots. Father, thank you for your unconditional love for us, for your incredible patience. From this point on, please, please help us to keep the lines of communication open between us and you. And help us to be the sons and daughters that you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.